Hi, I'm Mario Antiveros. And I'm Shauna Lutker. Welcome back to Extras, Artists, and Rights. Each episode brings together a group of artists around a table to talk about what art can do. They share their strategies for reaching across the boundaries of their disciplines, how they build bridges, how they work collectively, and how they create supportive conditions and opportunities. Today we present episode three, Weaving Tight Enough forming solidarities, and fixing the situation. With artists Cognate Collective, Vichal Jodeo, Alana Mann, and Patrick Staff. And Mario is back as our moderator. One of the underlying concerns of this conversation is identified by Amy of Cognate Collective when she says, how can we knit together our capacities? Can we stitch together or weave tight enough so that we can catch the people who are falling through? When these artists came together in Echo Park at Catasonic Studios in February 2020, we knew about the virus and all felt something coming, but the magnitude of the challenges of the past months was unimaginable. And yet this conversation intersects with the present in so many ways. For one, the artists struggle with state definitions that limit humanity and institutions that diminish and displace humans. They also talk about how the process of beginning to undo structures, for example, institutional racism, requires not a speeding up, but a slowing down and a constant assessment of points of alignment with other groups to form real solidarity. In listening, I think what becomes clear is how they shed light on the role that art and artists can play in this process. And you can find more information about this podcast, the artists, and their work on Extra's website at extraonline.org. Hi, my name is Amy Sanchez-Arteaga. My pronouns are she, her, and I work with Misael Diaz as part of um, Cognate Collective. Hello, everyone. My name is Misael Diaz. Um, I work with Amy Sanchez-Arteaga as part of Cognate (laughs) Collective. yeah, pronouns he, him, his. My name is Vishal Jagdeo, pronouns he, him. Um, and I work uh, in video and installation, and I teach uh, at UCLA in, the, in new genres right now. <clears throat> Great. Hi, I'm Patrick Staff, um, pronouns they, them. Uh, yeah, likewise, I'm an artist uh, based here in L.A., but from the U.K. originally. Um, currently not teaching anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ilana Mann, uh, pronouns she, her, and I'm an artist here, and I just had my second child two months ago. Um, and yeah, that's me. Wow. <laughs> well, welcome everyone. Um, as we discussed a little bit ago that I mean, one of the opening questions that we've been dealing with um, in these various conversations have been about the urgencies um, that we're facing today. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the issues that concern you most and how maybe your work um, or the spaces that you work in address some of those urgencies and concerns. And uh... My immediate response was to try to pass out the difference between urgencies on a like broader political scale sure. and then personally in my own life and then also urgencies within my practice. Yeah. And I sort of found myself sitting there thinking like, oh, I don't know actually how to measure out where one yes. begins and another starts or that sort of thing. And often what feels urgent in my work can be incredibly selfish compared to maybe broader urgent political concerns that maybe also can produce a certain feeling of Maybe helplessness, maybe maybe apathy, maybe anxiety, you know. Um, I mean, I think 
in my work most recently, the, the kind of urgent question, I suppose, has been around the kind of contours and limits and definitions of the human. Um, and maybe it, within that, focusing on what, uh, what produces the non-human or what the, what the kind of project to define the human subject or the sovereign subject renders non-human. And, and thinking about it, I was like, okay, that, yes, that's a sort of maybe potentially hermetically sealed question within the work. Like I actually think on a broader level with like a move towards ethno-nationalism and increasing of border states and things like that. Um, that, that question for me of, of who gets rendered outside of the sovereign subject and who gets sort of uh, reified within it does feel, does feel kind of urgent and, and across those arenas, you know, mm -hmm. uh, if that makes sense to <laughs> everyone. Like who's considered human? Yeah, I mean, in the yeah. most simplest sense, and and to um, to to define the human, what then gets pushed outside of that category? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's so funny because I was writing about that too when I was brainstorming um, about urgency today. Just thinking about um, just the lack of the crisis in conversation and like. Um, the lack of discussion and um, and the rise of extremism, um, but also just how um, there's so many parts of humanity that aren't viewed as human, that like aren't valued and um, and are seen as like less than. Um, so that was that was something that came up for me too in thinking about like urgency and what um, what I'm working on in my own work and um, and like the forces from outside that are pushing me in different directions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think also not to not to talk too much already, but I, I'm also I think it's interesting to think about urgency in relation to speed or relation to like a temporal thing, because often what feels urgent is um, is, is my immediate surrounding on some on some even keel or something right like it, for me the urgency in the morning is like okay my partner my cat the house and then I can sort of move outwards from there but anyway that was a, a sort of off a tangential thing about temporality and urgency hmm. but I do think that that's one of the things I mean we were thinking of it as a very open-ended notion around urgency and I do think that those overlaps between the sort of pressing political concerns, but also some of the issues that I heard earlier about just sustainability, right? Just how do I sustain my practice is an urgent question mm -hmm. in Los Angeles, for example, today, or Southern California with the housing crisis that we've been dealing with. And so, yeah, so I do think that the overlapping of those urgencies are, are really difficult sometimes to sort of parse out, like mm -hmm. what, what comes to the surface today might be different than yesterday and tomorrow. What is urgent for you guys? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess <clears throat> for me, the question of urgency, I, in a way, it's sort of easier for me to think outside of my practice because I mm. think um, I don't know that I've ever worked artistically around urgencies, actually. Like, I think that the way that things occur to me and happen sort of intellectually or artistically unfold so slowly anyway that the this kind of question of urgency I don't know it, it's maybe something that I haven't applied to thinking about work but then in terms of thinking about teaching or like which you know is kind of 
taking over a lot of my life at the moment. I feel like there's a lot of questions of sort of urgency. Um, just as, you know, teaching in a city like Los Angeles with, as we've mentioned, that kind of housing crisis and um, also seeing the doors of the institution really open up to a type of student that might not have appeared five or 10 years ago. And then really feeling even this, this sort of um, a higher kind of urgency in like questions around sustainability like we're we're constructing new kinds of conversations and new kinds of dialogues but is there sustainability outside of the institution outside of the kind of protected mm -hmm. space of the classroom or something and so that's you know when i'm thinking about urgency you know honestly literally this week i feel like the questions are are kind of more centered around um around the teaching um and some of these questions about new new types of citizens in the classroom and mm. and actually like how do we situate um, uh, their sort of citizenship or, or selfhood which is you know different but um, which is different across you know within the body of students but um, situate them within histories which are actually sort of unpresent they're yet to be we're, we're in the process of building new histories so it's a funny kind of moment in that regard. Mm -hmm. I have. A, can you explain a little bit more because of like what kind of student they're talking about? Um, you know, I could I could be specific with an example actually. Like so, yesterday, um, something that came up in a class that I was teaching was um, a student, uh, um, uh, a Latinx student that is making work that refers to a kind of futurism or a futurity, um, a big kind of conversation came up in the class as to the fact that this was, that that part of what their work was birthing was a new discourse which and a new kind of conversation, which I agree with. And then immediately after class, that student came up to me and was like, I need some help with like historical, um, with some historical work because I actually feel like I'm getting lost in not knowing how to actually move forward with the work um, because I don't know where to situate myself in history. So I was like, come, let's go to the New Genres Video Library. And then I was like, I could pull these things from quote unquote art history and they could hopefully be helpful to you, but they actually are not. <laughs> They're going to fail you at a certain level. Um, and um, it, it's, it, especially with regards to the specificity of what that artist was working with in their work, which did actually connect more to certain practices that I could see from um, maybe this, you know, 60s or 70s, but were primarily made by white artists, or I could find examples within um, black artistic practices, but I actually couldn't, with what was available in front of me, mm. give them the kind of trajectory that, or situate them within a trajectory that they were trying to build. And in the end, I was like, we're building this history, so feel free. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but, you know, that actually did feel like a slightly, I, I sat with it all, all night and I was like, I, did I fail them? Yeah. 
questions that keep you up, isn't it? Yeah, like <laughs> the, an instructor. All the shortcomings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was our like talk in the car over here. Um, yeah, I guess. Or I don't know. I don't know if I feel like that question kind of or like that reflection kind of launches me into like another question. I think um, rather than speaking to the question of urgency, but I think maybe I'll, I'll try to respond to the question of urgency. And then I, I, I think I have thoughts about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, so I think the what it asked me to do that question was to think about um, like priorities or how mm-hmm. I prioritize in my life, um, which then brought me to kind of a question of scale. I think also, um, as Patrick mentioned, to like temporality and thinking about like what are the scales of time that I inhabit in a day um, and how do I like shift in and out of different scales of time maybe and how um, does that speak to ways in which I'm like embodied and disembodied in a day. So I think it was funny how that that question took me actually to a really like meta um, discursive place that was then that was just like interesting, um, like the question itself uh, and the kind of way that I think I chose to like embody the question mm-hmm. and like the question. So then I think I also was thinking about a, a question of embodiment and a question of 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 like the limits of. Yeah, of like time and how I place um energy in a day and like to whom um I'm devoting that energy so I think on the one hand um there's been a lot of like so we moved recently um and so and we had a really like I think rich network of folks that we were working with um in Orange County and we had we just had like a different network of people so I think um in moving I think seeking out like what are uh, the communities that we would like to be in dialogue with now that we're in San Diego and how um, do we like think about the the transborder part of the practice and of the praxis that that undertakes um, like being back at the border um, and I and I think maybe I, that's like the response or like the the I, I think the echo that I felt with the reflection that you were having around um, like how I think these uh, these students and these moments um, in the academy and in institutions where like we we're finding like these gaps in knowledge or like gaps in the archive are like these um, invitations to be interdisciplinary in ways that we haven't been before. And I've been feeling that as well, where certainly like maybe a new genres library wouldn't have it. Um, but like the Chicano Studies Research mm-hmm, Center may, mm-hmm, or, totally. you know, and so those kinds of like by necessity, the urgency to be interdisciplinary and to be um, like promiscuous in how we inhabit time as a political mm-hmm. necessity and agency, I think as a, as like an instructor and just like as a person who like has a body and like, yeah, I, I, I think for, so for me, it's like, oh, like the the urgency is around like trying to just create like capaciousness, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just like to make capacity uh, and and like 
both inter like in thinking about disciplines so like how do the disciplinary boundaries go away but also around like the subject and around time like how do I make capacity and how do we knit together our capacities in ways that can like um yeah I had a professor of mine once used an idiom that was really beautiful where I think she said something like can we like stitch together or like weave tight enough that we can catch the people that are falling through Mm -hmm. I was, um, I think, to echo some of the, some of that, um, and I think to relate it to this question of um, the human project uh, that Patrick uh, introduced into the conversation, I think we have uh, really been thinking about how part of the issue at hand with, with the human project is that it's often undertaken um, as an individual project, right, or as a project to build the self. Um, and what you're speaking uh, to is a kind of the necessity of the other who is always excluded from that, um, but also the necessity of that exclusion, right, uh, to build the self, to understand the self. And I think that that process of um, recognizing that in order to begin to undo it through collectivity becomes something that is an urgency in our work. Um, how it is that we can weave that fabric uh, closer together uh, between one another. Um, and I think that th- that has been related also to uh, this question of citizenship recently um, and how it is that citizenship is big, has increasingly become this uh, technology or this tool to dehumanize folks where it's like, oh, you're not recognized by the state, therefore you will not be recognized as human uh, mm-hmm. and your rights uh, and your presence as, as a physical body will be um, denied entry, will be denied um, recognition, will be denied protection, um, will be erased and, 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 a sub- and subjected to violence, essentially. Um, so we've been thinking about this question um, a lot in relation to migration, in relation to the kind of crises that are taking place at the border. Um, and I think to uh, speak more broadly about the kind of like a, a political urgency that I think we're, we're feeling a little bit in our work is how those types of problematics um, that we've been researching and trying to contend with and trying to address by building transnational transborder networks of solidarity between communities, um, that kind of uh, project is seems like it will only become more and more complicated by the fact that um, the crisis of displacement seems to be getting just worse and worse um, at all scales, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at the scale of the city uh, in relation to the crisis around housing, um, but also on larger scales uh, in relation to climate change uh, and to climate refugees and how that is, in a sense, is creating like this massive crisis of displacement that is only going to further compound um, the need that certain states feel, that need that certain subjects feel to erect borders, to erect boundaries, um, to delineate the, yeah, like a sense of, of who gets to be recognized, who gets to have rights and, and who doesn't mm-hmm. um, in a way that is much more militarized, that it's much more violent. Um, and I think that, yeah, like the, the question of how to begin to undo that at all scales, across scales, across time um, is something that, yeah, is definitely an urgency, I think, in our work. And, and also just how that sometimes feels like uh, it requires not necessarily a speeding up, but maybe a slowing down, right? Like thinking about like 
study, thinking about like historical research, situating ourselves, like all these things that require time, that require a different sense of engagement, that oftentimes feel like maybe aren't responding to the immediacy of, of the crisis, of the, po- of the political like situation at hand, uh, but I think are necessary in order to begin to imagine those new worlds, right? Mm-hmm. That aren't just building upon the current moment or aren't just imagining something out of thin air, but are actually p- potentially like rescuing forms of knowledge that have been um, yeah, forgotten that have been under visibilized, under uh, appreciated. Um, so this kind of like question of also like sometimes of urgency, feeling like a need to slow down and to assess and to be like, okay, wait, what's happening? <laughs> and then like, what's the best way to move forward? And and that kind of question then opens up into a question of dialogue and the kind of need and enti- like the need that um, dialogues uh, requires. Uh, of both like space but also time right to build and to process and these types of things so it's yeah mm-hmm. I'm fully in the slow down mode yeah <laughs> um yeah just like becoming a, a mother um twice thank you yeah. <laughs> um has really just made me think about time and care and labor and just like and also coalition building in such a mm-hmm. different way um because, you know, so much of my work is and has been about um, resistance and protest and voice and collectivity, conversation, getting together. But then um, there's all these uh, barriers now um, for me uh, to um, fully embodying those principles outside of the house. And so... That is something I've been thinking about a lot, like how little support there is for mothers and for families um, and just the insanity of these um, of the way that our society is built in these individual houses where everyone's like doing these individual tasks over and over again. (laughs) Um, You know, whereas like, oh, man, if, you know, I could cook a meal for like three families at once, it would just be so much easier. <laughs> um, and But then to like, you know, truly live communally would mean to have to separate like my family out from society in a way and like move into a totally different social structure, um, which uh, my husband's totally unwilling to do, which I totally understand. <laughs> um, but it's really, you know, it's brought these larger questions that I've been asking more like philosophically or socially, politically into like the domestic um, and like really thinking about like, you know, how is my life functioning like domestically and, you know, even like how is the education of my children and what are they being exposed to and like how are they learning um, and how is that like that education producing um, certain subjects too and certain individuals. Um, and it's, wow, it's a huge challenge. <laughs> like you think about um, a student, you know, and like feeling like I'm failing them. And then <laughs> you like think about your own children and you're just like, oh my God, you know, um, conversations that I'm having with my son about, things like gender um, or um, 
things like um, death or things like community or um, poverty, you know, um, it's, uh, it's like a microcosm of, of these, these like larger questions that we're talking about. But yeah, just kind of thinking about, um, I think like when we talk about the urgency of, of like social structure, it's also like, um, you know, how do we bring that into the, the urgency of our everyday life, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, it's, there's two different things that I'm reflecting on in this conversation and one feels about legibility um, and the other feels somewhat about kinship. And on the one hand, I, I find myself thinking a lot within my own work about, um, you know, the, the, the structures of legibility that we might reproduce but also produce. I mean, I think about this as, as a visual artist in some way, but often making work uh, around queer and trans subjectivity, often being invited into institutions as an advocate for mm -hmm. that while simultaneously trying to, um, to undo or even question the very terms that the inv inviting institution sets up to begin with. Yeah. And I was thinking about that, Vish, when you were talking about this student. Like, in a way, what, what you are doing is, is sort of being like the interlocutor between a student who is being asked to make themselves visible or legible within a certain history or a certain set of terms, what UCLA sets up, what art history sets up. Um, and what I can imagine or what I would feel is also like, how do I, how do I be that connector? But how do I also kind of question or undo mm -hmm. the very terms on which we're, we're working with to begin with? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, particularly as a trans person and working around, around trans subjectivity, it has such an intense history in relationship to visibility mm -hmm. and the visibility of the body um, that you, that I find I don't want to, um, completely write off or completely act as if it's meaningless. Um, I feel the same maybe about questions around citizenship, like it can't be uh, underestimated how important the things that come with citizenship uh, do, but at the same time I want to question the nation state. So how do you sort of simultaneously balance those things? Um, yeah, and, and so that's like playing on my mind in this conversation. And then, Elena, when you were talking just now, I was also thinking about um, kinship and maybe the kind of unruliness of kinship. Like I was in an interview recently asked to talk about sort of my reflections on queer kinship and what that is and what that means. And I kind of really found myself saying like, well, any anything I do now kind of um, would create a false picture maybe of, of a certain solidarity or a mm -hmm. certain um, idea of like a well-behaved kinship when mm -hmm. in reality I find it's very unruly and very unpredictable and mm -hmm. we are often sort of in kinship with like people who we don't agree with or don't feel with and and it was reminding me that the one time where I've sort of lived in a communal familial structure um, it was a friend who was raising a child as a single parent and was stuck in the country that we were living in, in the UK. And so, you know, I've often thought about in reflection, to me it felt very utopian. I was like, oh, we're having this queer kind of communal child rearing situation, but it was born of a necessity of someone who could not leave mm. and could not work 
Um, and for her, that was a point of crisis. That was a point of real urgency in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, a, and a group of us who lived and worked together and sort of helped with her childcare and things like that um, were there for, in a period of time that she ultimately wanted to leave and move on from. Um, but I think that often in these moments of, around kinship or, or desire to live differently, um, I maybe in a, on, in a selfish state might have tried to fix that situation, fixes in, fix it in time. Um, to me, I was like, oh, this is, this is a moment where we're redefining the family mm. structure or something. But for her, it was a transitional moment born of necessity. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, these kind of push and pull situations, you know? Um, I think I'm often challenged by situations of needing to recognize their impermanence um, or their movement through to become someone, something or someone else or a different situation rather than, um, yeah, for me, a desire to often like fix that situation as a different model or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, no, it's just so interesting because, right, as an artist, what we do is like take this, take a moment or take an idea or take. Um, a situation and we fix it right mm-hmm. in, in time we, mm-hmm. we create it we create some sort of object or image or moving image or like situation workshop conversation event whatever but I mean that's There's just, a crystallization yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's kind of um, and that process is it is sl- slow so then it's like oh, I have this idea, I have this um, vision. Um, and th- then through like the process of creating and presenting, it's like, how does that relate to that initial moment or something, if that makes sense? <laughs> um, so I think about that a lot too, because it's like, um, you know, there's so much change, but then how do you keep what you're doing still fresh and relevant and meaningful like for an audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think similar to that, a question that I've returned to often, particularly when working in quote unquote kind of, kind of community contexts, uh, a question of like, on the one hand, how do you rem- allow something to be open and fluid enough and changeable enough and reflective, while at the same time, there's often a desire to, to batten down the hatches or like close the gates for an act of self-preservation, you know, and often I find you're uh, in kind of juggling those two impulses, um, maybe on the one hand to open something up to the point where it stops being what it originally was, it feels scary, and on the other hand that getting to the point where we say like, okay, you're in, you're out, this is how we, this is what we do inside, these are the rules, this is the, the, the you know, mm-hmm. at that point I'm like, well now I'm reproducing some really scary uh, paradigms that I've learned from somewhere, you know, and that's been a, a returning question in my work, I think, mm-hmm. which I can imagine being very difficult in an educational context. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, last week in, um, in teaching like a graduate theory seminar and we read um pedagogy of the oppressed Mm -hmm. which like i hadn't read cover to cover in like many like you go to like moments right but when i read the whole thing i was like oh that's why i like this so much Mm -hmm. um because i think yeah because i like the praxis 
the model of like reflection that leads to action that leads to reflection that a text like that offers was so instructive. But it was interesting because in the conversation we started having was about just the way that we internalize the oppressor. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I think part part of um, I think part of some of the work that we've been thinking about has been like this is also part of my one of our questions so maybe that maybe I'm going to pose now but it was around kind of like spaces around like public like grief um or like mourning mm-hmm. or loss or something and it's interesting because I think when we were having that conversation last week I kept I I found myself thinking about like oh like maybe there's something around like finding space to like mourn the kind of oppressor or like like uh Mm. that there's like a loss thing that happens um also and I think creating creating kind of affective spaces where like it's okay to have also mourning around the like loss of a structure or something Mm -hmm. seems important or generative or like um like part of a sustainable space or practice that the spiritual emotional yeah aspect of humanity is also given Mm -hmm. space and time and care yeah but I I think even like um so the example maybe that I can think of is the way that um there are certain like protocols like in my family uh, like growing up that I have that I can now like realize we're like deeply like machista we're like mm-hmm. deeply mm-hmm. like determined by kind of like patriarchal structures that I now kind of have like a disavowal of but I think like moving on from that practice was still hard and it was still sad and it was mm-hmm. still a loss mm-hmm. um, because it was something that I had practiced like collectively like with family and so I think create like creating spaces just to like grieve around those like that before I think remaking of course is important and there's like an active of genesis in that moment and in that disavowal but I think there's also like a like a loss or a grief space yeah. I think it's you know I've been thinking about that in relationship to like you know one's own process of like decolonization which mm-hmm. is this sort of like ongoing process and and then in throughout that process one like for me I kind of am constantly sort of like looking back at the ways in which I've been indoctrinated into certain ways of thinking and um and the ways that certain histories that might have actually resonated to me so hugely as I was a growing mind Mm -hmm. because I wasn't because I was seeing them through a framework that was delivered in a sort of and then and then now to see things again like through the eyes through through my eyes, which are which are my the lens has been shifted by my relationship to a younger generation, and seeing certain historical moments through their eyes, and then actually yes, like feeling that sort of sense of sort of a kind of mourning or something for, and it's it's funny it can actually happen as quickly or as slowly as you want it to <laughs> in a way, yeah. and sometimes it's nice to just be like oh yeah you're right fuck it and like yeah. <laughs> discard, but then there's other you know. And it was sort of something that came up, like, you know, just with, uh, you know, yeah, recently, just, again, with a student, where it was this funny thing where 
you know, they were also asking, like in a way that what they were expressing it was like a desire to be able to see things through an older lens or something, mm. which, and I thought that was really interesting and that they, that they actually felt a kind of loss or like, um, yeah, like a sense of grief around not being able to to go back to, you know, like almost to a kind of blindness or something. And I, I thought that was a really interesting thing and realized that I actually can feel that in my own way. I mean, again, we don't want to be blind, but <laughs> but I don't know, these these processes of sort of movement or uh, um, progression are, are complex. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about, you had mentioned about building sustaining a dialogue or because of the different movements that the physical movements that you've had how do you maintain those how do you maintain your capacity and then how do you start those conversations as you shift from different locations which because we're all working in different spaces and different mediums and how do you sustain those conversations um and and allow them to also transform given the changes that you've experienced physically, emotionally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so we began our collaboration actually in Tijuana, San Diego, um, a few years ago. And then because of, mostly because of like schooling, but then also like residency opportunities that emerged um, that then led us to these collaborations um, with um, like uh, youth advocacy and immigration rights group. Uh, It was groups and now it's a group um, in Orange County. Um, And so just, I I think like of the path of the praxis, uh, the the practice, um, and I guess like that's become a praxis. um, We, yeah, we've ended up just having like the nomadism of our practice has just become like part of it, it's just like a facet of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so m- moving between like Tijuana um, and like Santana for a long time and kind of like triangulating um, histories of uh, gentrification in Orange County and in downtown Santana and the displacement of historic um, like uh, Latinx uh, shops um, in the downtown, for instance, and triangulating that with the, the kinds of... Uh, gentrification that are happening in downtown Tijuana um, and throughout the city um, and the the market space that we worked in I think initially which was at the border crossing um, is this it's it's been there for like over a hundred years um, and formalized around the 1980s which is also the moment when it was a kind of like heyday in like Santana so I think um, one of the ways that we do that is finding those kinds of conceptual echoes mm-hmm. um, in the different communities um, in the kind of greater Tijuana LA megalopolis right. kind of territory that we find ourselves um, working in um, but I think also looking to like community organizations and folks who I think who we know that we'll be able to kind of sustain dialogue with even past like the the scope of a project um, to try to create networks or try to create um, yeah like long-term 
relationship. Yeah, yeah, I was like trying to find like a better word, but I think that's what it is because they're just like our friends now, many of them. Um, and so. Yeah, but I think uh, related to that, I think the question of sustainability for us is often a question of uh, reciprocity and ensuring reciprocity. Like right. it seems like recip like ensuring reciprocity is a good way of building long-term sustainability mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. it's it's a model that allows us to connect or to try to connect with, with the community organization, with the community group uh, on terms that feel mutual, that feel uh yeah reciprocal mm -hmm. um so that that allows for a project potentially to emerge or maybe not um but it's a relationship that we could potentially return to understanding that those are the terms that have been set mm -hmm. um and i think the politics of that has also been made clear for them um so then it allows us to in spite of not remaining in one place for a long time it leaves open the potential to return mm -hmm. and to continue activating that dialogue, continue activating that collaboration at times from afar or, or by physically returning to that site and to continue those, um, yeah, the, the, the dialogue, to continue the engagement in a way that, again, may lead to a, a visual art project or might just look like us supporting something that they're doing that they need support with. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that being open to those different scales of engagement that feel um, yeah, reciprocal is, is what has allowed us to maintain this nomadic practice and to maintain these mm -hmm. connections in spite of them moving back and forth. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think importantly, and maybe um, to your point, Elena, about like in intergenerationality, or I heard you talking a bit about intergenerationality, I think also that like the working with folks who are sometimes like older, and then trying to build in projects where young people and everybody sort of like, like the, the kind of like gamut around age also feels really important to the politics of, of the work. I think also what's really fascinating just about your collective is that, that so many groups will deal historically with the border, with San Diego, and then they jump to Los Angeles. And so the fact that you're dealing with Santana or Santa Ana, depending on where you're from in Southern California. Politics. Exactly, right? <laughs> but that, but it's such an important region on right along that Orange County area that is really lost in the larger artistic world. And so when I heard about your, you know, when I learned about your collective, my thought was that was so anchored in that middle point that everyone overlooks because they're of the rush to get to Los Angeles at five miles an hour on a freeway. So, <laughs> um, but I think the issue around reciprocity is something that each of you have sort of talked about reciprocity with a student, um, reciprocity with different notions of of I want to fix this, but I also want to keep it open-ended, reciprocity with your children about having those sustained dialogues, um, reflection and action. Hmm. Yeah, I, and I, I wonder if this resonates with other people, but it took me a long time to be able to just sit with the fact that these, these forms of reciprocity are not necessarily equally balanced or equally measured, particularly if I'm working as an artist with someone who does not have an investment in an artistic practice or within, again, like what becomes legible within an artistic context, within an art institution or whatever. Um, I think for a long time when I was younger and as a, a kind of younger practitioner, my desire was always to try to almost like flush out those uh, uncomfortable complexities and try to sort of just establish a, a context or a condition where we're all on an equal 
playing ground. And it took me a long time to just be able to accept the fact that it was not an equal playing ground. It was not always necessarily that what I could offer and what I wanted to take were evenly matched mm -hmm. or evenly balanced. And that was a little bit of a like grieving process <laughs> almost yeah. of learning that things cannot be that simple. Right. You know. Mm. Do you feel like a certain obligation to your collaborator or partner or like how do you negotiate your own uh -huh. like inner sense of like ethics or morality mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. Um I mean, probably just like an ongoing process of like self-analysis, but also the kind of openness to being held accountable by others, I think. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of it was about learning to undo the things that I had learned within my arts education, which was that um, the kind of the terms of artistic production always win or always come mm -hmm. at the top of the pile mm -hmm. um, and that whoever maybe succeeds within the context of an arts uh, practice, an art institution or whatever is the ultimate gain or the ultimate winner or yeah. something. Um, and actually once I realised that other people might be able to just use me and use what I might be able to bring to the table via um, funding or a context or just a room or something like that, and actually accepting that their priorities were not going to be the same as my priorities and just being able to sit with that mm -hmm. and let it let it be what it is, you know. But that actually did require, I think, a, a certain unlearning of what I'd been taught in, in an arts context. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about the artists or join in the conversation, visit extraonline.org or find us on Instagram. This series was made possible by generous support from the California Arts Council, Arts and Public Media Grant, the Michael Asher Foundation, and KCET's Artbound. Recorded at Catasonic Studios in Echo Park by Mark Wheaton with production assistance from Sarah Ellen Fowler and Kara Hart. Thank you to Shaolin Dub for our theme song and Florian Decros for our interstitial music.